I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn, if you will, to the book of Philippians. So turn to the book of Philippians chapter 4. We'll begin reading in verse 1. And read through verse 13. Philippians chapter 4, I'll be reading out the New King James Version, as is my custom. God's word declares, therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Yodia and I implore Syntyche, be it to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me. These do, and the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned, both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, who strengthens me. Well, we continue our word study in Jude very deliberately, and we are still working our way through the second verse of the things that Jude desires to be multiplied to his reader. We've studied God's mercy, and we have seen that not only has God provided and extended his mercy toward us, but he also has given us the instructions of how we receive it. That for mercy to be multiplied to us requires something of us. God has certainly already granted it. It is now for us to receive it. And we do that according to the scripture. By showing mercy, we receive mercy. Uh, we have seen uh, that extensively and, and developing that on our Sunday night especially. We now last week looked at God's provision of peace. That he is our peace. And not in a... And we looked at that word peace not in the sense of not having anxiety. We're going to look at that a little bit more this week. But in the biblical model that takes priority, and that is that we are at peace with God um, rather than having an enmity or a wall between us and God. That it is comparative to being not no longer his enemies, but rather at peace with him. And this is the peace that Jesus Christ has provided when you talk about him being the Prince of Peace. He is that one that has reconciled us to God. It's a theological work that is the foundation of our peace. That we have peace with God through the reconciliatory work of Christ. And just as a quick review, we've looked at it in some other places, but let's look at it in Colossians um, chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. And again, this is... Paul, like we studied last week in Ephesians, we see it here in Colossians, very similarly described, but I want to just read it as a review for us. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, For it pleased the Father that in Him, that is in Jesus Christ, all the fullness should dwell, and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself by Him, well, the things on earth are things in heaven, having made peace to the blood of his cross. And we see that the reconciliation of men to God is accomplished by the blood of Jesus Christ, and it is the peace that the Bible talks about when it talks about Jesus Christ coming as Prince of Peace. And we 
demonstrated last week that when we talk about peace from a biblical model, it is not that all the circumstances around me should go my way. And Christ made it very clear that he did not come to bring that kind of peace. In fact, he has come to bring the opposite in your life. Um, because if you connect yourself with him in the manner that God calls us to, it says we will bring a sword in your life. You will have your very family become your enemies. Uh, that those who hate him will hate you. That they will try to abuse you, kill you, destroy you. That we will have as enemies in this world, principalities and powers and things present, things to come. Um, but then we are told, don't fear. Do not be troubled by these things. You should be expecting that. But the one that you serve, the one that you are at peace with, has made you more than conquerors over those things. Has gained you the victory over them. And thus we have the peace we're going to talk about a little bit more today. But the foundation of that is the reconciliation between you and God. That you have a right relation with God. And once you have God on your side, what's left to be against you? How can anything else measure up? And we're going to talk more extensively about that. And, and this is really what Christ is talking about in John uh, 14, 15, 16, where he says, My peace I leave to you, not as the world gives, give I to you this kind of peace. This kind of reconciliation between you and God to such a degree that you have an intimacy with God that the world cannot give you any, in any way. They cannot give you the, the, the joy. They cannot give you the mercy. They cannot give you the grace. They cannot give you any of that that only intimacy with God can give you. It cannot provide that. There is a, an emptiness there that the world can never fill. And so Christ says, I'm going to give that to you. And in that fashion, he is the Prince of Peace. And that he says, uh, in me, you will know peace. This is where you'll have it. And so it is not based upon everything around you, your, your environment being perfect, because that's not the case. But rather, it's about that you have a perfect relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and now you can be at peace, though the world around you is full of turmoil. And hence, the instruction by God, do not let your hearts be troubled. If you look at the context of every time he tells people not to be troubled, you know what's going on around them? Trouble. <laughs> he promises it. Trials, tribulations. Um, but he says, don't be troubled. Why? You believe in God. And we're going to talk about that. Why is the Christian, troubled Christian should be an oxymoron? It should never happen. You should never have uh, a troubled heart as a believer because you have given yourself to God, and God is the grantor of peace. He has reconciled you to himself, and uh, not just as your God or as your king, but as your father, as your brother, as your friend. He has brought you into a familial intimacy that you are his bride. Well, grooms take care of their brides. That's what they want to do. And so, we are called upon into this intimacy with God and built upon that intimacy, we have a confidence that we have peace with God. There's no enmity there. There is nothing that God is sitting up there stingily not wanting to bless you. Rather, he has done everything to bless you. And so he is our peace. He has broken down every wall, Ephesians says so that we have peace with him, and now, because of that, we can have peace with one another. And we explored that all last week. This week, we want to talk about how you receive that peace. What does it require of you? For we often find Christians praying prayers, Lord, give me peace. Lord, give me this and give me that. And the fact is that God has already given you peace. The question really isn't whether God will give you any of it. The question really for most Christians is, will you receive any of it? It is more about what you are doing than it is about what God is doing. Because God has already done all that is necessary if you have peace. And that has gone all the way back to the person and work of Jesus Christ. 
And so now we want to look and investigate what does it take for us to acquire this peace that God has already provided us with. Before we do so, let's go, Lord, in prayer. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us that brought us into your very family and give us this kind of access before your presence. And we marvel at it. You do not keep us far off, but draw us near. You have come near in to us through the Holy Spirit within us to make your dwelling place here as you prepare a dwelling place for us there in your glory. And so, Lord, we cannot cease to give thanks to your name and all that it means for us. We pray as we are reminded today of the very little that it requires of us to see the blessings of God accomplished in and around us. Lord, we know that we're still not really capable of it. And we thank you again for your spirit to empower us to follow after you. And Lord, as we investigate this aspect of how we receive your peace, we pray that you might guide us into your truth as always. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is not really a new concept of peace and what uh, God offers, and it goes way back into um, the Old Testament. And we're going to pick up on one Old Testament passage particularly because of its direct application to our circumstances Um, But this has been what God has investigated from the beginning. Uh, When you find him arriving in the Garden of Eden, uh, when there was suddenly something between him and his creation. And he goes out there and it's him looking for them. They're hiding from him. God has always initiated the interaction. And as Adam and Eve cower, God's question is, why are you doing that? What's happened? Did you eat of the fruit? Here's an opportunity for you to confess your sin. Adam doesn't do that. He blames the woman. The woman blames the serpent. Um, And we have the blame game instead of the confession game of repentance, of, of declaration of guilt. And so God has always been about the business of trying to come to man and to bring that reconciliation, offering it from the very start. And that is the whole point of this Old Testament is to bring us to Christ and to direct our attention that he is going to provide a way. And it was those who trusted in him that were counted righteous and had peace with God. Once you have the peace with God, Now the peace of God is yours for the taking. Let me say that again. Once you have peace with God, the peace of God is available to you. If you do not have peace with God first, you cannot ever have the peace of God in your life. So if you are not reconciled with God by believing in Jesus Christ, because that's what he says, why is your heart troubled? You believe in God, believe also in me. And he's going to talk about the future, my father's house or many mansions. If we're not so, I would have told you. Um, so Christ makes it very clear that for reconciliation to occur, he had to come, but then you have to believe and receive. Once that reconciliation and you have peace with God, now we get to investigate the peace of God. And that is the idea that once I have an intimacy with God, why am I troubled about anything? And it's no mistake that Jesus Christ, to to settle their heart in both Matthew 24 and John and other places, keeps going back to your future is secure. Don't be troubled. You believe in me? Believe in God? We're setting up dwelling places for you in in heaven. Your future is secure. And we looked at that when we looked at the Uh, in Jude with the aspect of preserved in Christ Jesus, that we have the security 
this preservation of our faith, that what Christ has begun in us, he is faithful to complete it. And so whenever Christ comes with this concept of tribulation, the troubles of this world, that your family's going to hate you, people are going to think they do a service to God by doing injury to you. That when that happens, don't be troubled because you know the end of the story. You know what I have in store for you. That there is a future. And that has gone all the way back into the Old Testament. I have a future for you. I intend good for you. And this is consistent there. So this has been God's purposes all throughout Scripture. So now the question is, what is it that keeps us from having the peace of God? If we have peace with God because we've trusted in Jesus Christ our Savior, why doesn't every Christian experience the peace of God? Because just like salvation and the peace with God, there is an element that is dependent upon not God, but you. Remember to get peace with God. Jesus Christ had to come, humble himself, become a servant, die on the cross, suffer cruelly, though without sin, and rise from the dead. And, and he did all of that, that we could have peace with God, hence he is the Prince of Peace. But what does it require of you? You must believe. You must accept that gift. He's not going to force it upon anyone. Similarly, just as peace with God is acquired by you receiving the work of Jesus Christ, the peace of God requires something of you as well. And so we have several times throughout Scripture it says the peace of God will rule in your hearts. Well, let's look at what it requires of you. And to, let's go to Isaiah. Let's start there. Isaiah chapter 26 has a good foundational one. We'll come back to Philippians to finish out. But I want to jump to Isaiah so I want you to see the Old Testament facet of this. This isn't just something new, but it's something God has really desired among his people throughout time. Isaiah 26. And let's start with verse 1. It says, In that day, this song we sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God will appoint salvation for walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation which keeps the truth may enter in. Verse 3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. For trust, trust in the Lord forever. For in Yah, the Lord, is everlasting strength. So here, God says, I will keep you in perfect peace. Well, what does it require of us? Well, it describes it very clearly there. You need to trust in the Lord and need to keep your mind stayed on Jesus Christ, on him. And he talks about you have to keep your mind stayed on him, that those who are trusting the Lord are not just trusting in an event that happened at some historical date of the day you turn your life over to God or the day you were baptized, um, but trust is a continuing action verb. It, it requires something of you on a daily basis. I trust in the Lord. If you give your testimony, you say, I trusted in Christ back then. No wonder you don't have the peace of God in your life. Because it's a historical thing and not a current thing going on in your life. You began to trust in the Lord back then, but you trust in the Lord today. That is the foundation of Peace in your life. That trust, the trusting God, is an ongoing, day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment experience. That I keep trusting the Lord. As I walk along, I just keep trusting the Lord. And he gives a song. I just keep trusting my Lord. That is the condition that we maintain that kind of trust, that it is not a one-time event. Back then I trusted in God, and therefore I know my, no, I trust in him today and every day. And so it is those that trust in the Lord forever, and they just continually do that. 
But we back it up and he trusts in you. He trusts in God. His mind is stayed. There is a permanence there. There is an indwelling upon the thought of Christ, about the thought of God and his work on my behalf. And so my trust in him is ongoing. What began there on that day when I humbled myself, acknowledged my sin, and asked him to cleanse me of it and to be my Lord and my Savior, I trust in him then, I trust in him now, I'll trust in him forever. How do we maintain that kind of trust? We keep our minds upon him. And this is where the war is. The war, I believe, for most Christians isn't really with their heart. I believe the real war, because when I talk to Christians, they want to please God. They, they make those declarations. They say that they, they want to do good. Even unbelievers who are religious are, want what, to please God. You know, I talked to them, and, they, and I was like, but they're doing it in ignorance, and their mind has not come to the truth and acknowledged it. So the Bible calls us to, employ, to bring our minds to bear, to stay, it says in, here in Isaiah, that we stay our mind on Christ. And we need to recognize that there's a war for your mind, for your thoughts, for your attentions, for your principles and values. They are all formulated in your mind. It is such a powerful warfare, and we are, by the way, losing. Which is why the church has largely lost peace, the peace of God. Why are Christians ever wringing their hands with worry and anxiety? Why? Because we're losing the war for the mind of the believer. We know that there is a relationship, hopefully we know this, between what we expose ourselves to in terms of our eye gate, our ear gate um, particularly, and our thinking. You cannot keep hearing and seeing images and sounds that draw you away from the truth of God's word without there being some effect at some point. To believe that you can expose yourself to those images and to those sounds over and over and over again without effect is to lie to yourself. The Bible says you need to stay your mind on Christ, on him. This is how God keeps us in perfect peace. Is when we focus our attention, our thoughts, upon his truth. And I'm convinced that it is out of this declaration by Isaiah that Paul is deriving the material for the book of Philippians. And what we read in Philippians 4, which again, as we talked about a couple of nights ago, is really about trying to resolve some little bit of conflict that's in the church. And he says, we're going to go to delving into having the mind of Christ. And so we come to Philippians with that background that Paul had. That God will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on him, who trusts in the Lord, trusts in Yah forever, continuously. So I need to trust in the Lord more. In order to trust the Lord more and to have the perfect peace, I need to keep my thoughts, my mind sharpened and focused upon the work of God. And if you think that's a very small thing to focus on, it is not. It's actually a very enormous thing to focus your mind on. And yes, it can consume your thinking. 
and it can pervade all of your life and all of your interactions from your relationships to your work environment and yes, even penetrating your entertainment and things like that. Your family life, all of it. So here in Philippians 4, we have this opportunity to receive what God has already given, and that is the peace of God. He's already given it. It's wrapped up, it's presented, it is part of the package of your salvation, but it's probably part of the package we don't open very well and keep opening. So let's look at Philippians 4, because we have it. this whole idea of how do I keep my mind stayed on Christ, very well developed by Paul, I think, here, um, in several realms, and so let's look at them. We begin in an area that we are maybe a little more comfortable with, and that is that uh, in verse 6 it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So because we're getting to your mind at the end of that verse 7, uh, what gets us there, it says, well, take those anxieties, take the, what the world normally has, and you're going to begin by transferring those to God. And so you're taking your anxieties, you are coming to God in prayer, and you are going to let him know about it. Let your requests be made known to God. What does this indicate? It indicates that you trust that, number one, God listens. God cares. Cast all your cares upon him, for he careth for you, the Bible says. He cares, and he can do something about it. Romans says he'll work all things together for your good. And so when we turn to God in prayer, instead of sitting there trying to figure things out our, our own way and manipulate the environment around us or trying to just, just flat out give up or just break down, God says, come to him in prayer. That is an expression of trust. I am trusting the Lord. I'm going to pray. I'm going to bring this to him. But notice... There's a facet of this praying thing that we don't often associate with dealing with anxiety. We come to it with prayer and supplication, and then there's that two words that's strange there, with thanksgiving. Now, we're talking about something more substantial than thank you for this day, thank you for this food. Thank you for my mommy, daddy. Thank you for... No, we're talking about thanking him for the things that are causing your anxiety. To come to God with thanksgiving. That you have an opportunity to, to explore your trust of him. How do I know that? Peter especially, but others as well, talk about, and it's recorded by Luke in, in Acts, and uh, it talks about in Hebrews that, and James. I mean, you go through the biblical writers, it's all there. There is one thing they keep telling you to embrace, and that is trials and tribulations. To embrace them. To rejoice when you are counted worthy of suffering for Christ. To rejoice in suffering is to be thankful for that which is initiating or causing the anxiety in your life. Because the anxiety is not God's fault. The anxiety is your fault. Because anxiety comes, the, the worry comes because you have not expressed your trust in the Lord and you have not conditioned your mind to focus itself on who God is and what he is all about. And prayer enables us to turn that corner. To say, wait a minute. Why am I trying to solve this my way? Why am I trying to grasp at all these straws? Why am I trying to do all this? I have an intimate relationship with the God of the universe. I can simply go to him and in prayer. And as I do so, I want to say, well, thank you, Lord. Why did it have to take all this to remind me that, oh, I should probably pray? I should probably go to the Lord 
Do you ever notice that you're kind of neglectful in prayer until you're really in trouble? Am I the only one that's like that? Come on. Do you never notice that? How neglectful you are in your prayer life until you are in real trouble. And then, oh man, you are so fervent in prayer. Did it ever occur to you that God brings trouble for that very reason? Because you're neglectful of your prayers? Because we are neglectful of developing our intimacy with God, God says, well, you know, if I have to bring trial and tribulation, trouble into your life, if I have to do all of this to get you to trust in me more and to develop this intimacy more, then it's worth it. It's worth the struggle. Because in the midst of trouble, you turn to me, finally. You could have turned to me a lot earlier and avoided some of that. Or simply dealt with it a lot easier. But Paul here intimates that anxiety was going to be there. It says, be anxious for nothing. Uh, you sh- but the fact is that that happens. It says, and the alternative is, in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Lord, thank you, because you've already done so much for me. And based upon that history of what you've already done for me, I know you will continue to do for me, just as you will do for me in the future. My future is secure. Mansions, all that stuff. I trust in you. Prayer is the first conditioning of your mind toward God. remind yourself as much as to develop an intimacy with God, remind yourself that you have access to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords who owns everything. And I love the prayers of some of the old time Christians when I was, the, the old pastors, I mean they're like, they're all in heaven now in glory and they used to pray prayers and I used to kind of go, that's a silly way to pray um, but they used to do it, you know, Lord you own the cattle on a thousand hills, could you slaughter a few of them and take care of this? And I was like, what? (laughs) What are they doing? They're reminding themselves that there is nothing of this earth that isn't God's, that he can't provide you sufficiently. He will take care of our needs. He will do it. And so when we look at our prayer life, if it is not enveloped in thanksgiving I don't believe that it will effectively deal with the anxiety of your life it will not bring the peace of God because thanksgiving rehearses the history and rehearses and remembers oh God has all the resources necessary and he has promised to put them to bear upon my my life to work all things together for my good and I can trust him and I have access to him by the blood of Jesus Christ, by the power of his resurrection. I am now his child and prayer reminds us of all of that and so therefore there should not be anxiety if there is active prayer. And most of our anxiety is because we have failed to remember to be intimate with God in prayer. And so Paul starts off there. You want the peace of God? Rule in your hearts. Be a person of prayer. Make sure thanksgiving envelops it. And it will transform your attitude towards work. Do you pray in thanksgiving for the work God has given to you? The alternative is to be hungry and homeless. Do we thank God for those in authority over us, whether we like them or not, whether that boss is kind or not? Do we thank, are we thankful Are we thankful? Do you pray with thanksgiving for your spouse, for those kids that God gave you? Are you thankful? Do we pray with thanksgiving over the problems you encounter? Most of which you created by your own choices. But are we thankful that we have a God that we can go to with these who cares, who is not asleep, who is not on vacation? (laughs) Like the prophet, you know, Elijah and the prophets of Baal, you know, where is he at? Why won't Baal do anything? Boom! As soon as Elijah starts, wham! Here it comes. Fire from heaven. 
God is not far off. He's not disinterested. He wants to help. He waits for us to come to him, to receive from him the peace that he has already given. And that calls us to prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then the peace of God comes, and look at its effect. It will guard your heart and your mind. And as the mind that Paul has focused in and zeroed in on in Philippians, throughout Philippians, and now, with no surprise towards the end of the book, he wants to now um, just summarize the whole idea. So where does the peace of God come from in terms of your mind? Well, I've engaged myself in prayer. I have reminded myself I have an intimate access to the God of all the universe who has brought all these things into my life for a purpose, for my good. And yes, even when my brothers throw me in a pit and sell me as a slave to another country, I can be thankful to God and say, what do you got in store for me? I will not sin against you. I will not blame you. I'll, and I won't point and finger up and say, why God? I'm just going to serve you. And God, you take care of it. And then I'm in the slave in Egypt and I get falsely accused of something. I get thrown in prison. It's getting worse, Lord. It's not getting better. Well, no, it's getting better. This is the road to better. You never thought the road to better is through prison, did you? Well, it is. It wasn't Joseph's life. Instead of just blessing one household of Egypt, he blesses all of Egypt by becoming second in the kingdom. The only way to happen, for that to happen is through prison. That's how it happened. All of that so that he could be the savior of the world of that generation from hunger, particularly his own family, the ones that threw him in the pit. I'm pretty sure he didn't pray against them. Lord, get them. They're my enemies. Get them, Lord. Can you destroy them? No. With thanksgiving, make your requests be made known to God. Once you have a thankful heart, your requests being made known to God change. They're not, God, get rid of all this trouble out of my life. It is, God, help me to trust in you more. Do your best in me, through me, to me. Now that we've got our mind in the right direction, Paul says, here's how you stay your mind. Here's how you keep it. You ready? Verse 8, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are good report, anything virtuous, anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. This is your defense of your mind in this world. These are the bulwarks, the fortress of the Christian life in the war for the mind. It's for you, in your meditations, that is, in your thoughtfulness, in your engagement of your mind with the things around you, is to place them, and meditation isn't momentary, is it? I think we all recognize that meditation is something we do over time. That we meditate, that we draw upon these things, that we make them our attention, we put ourselves there, things that are Virtuous and praiseworthy. That that's what I want to meditate on. In order to meditate on those things, you have to bring them into your mind to work them over in your mind. They must get access there first before they can be meditated upon. Would you agree with that? You cannot meditate on something that isn't there. So if you're filling your mind with what the world wants, and remember, the world cannot give you peace. It will only bring anxiety. That's it, all it has to offer. It just, it, it, 
it just has no peace. The peace of God comes as we meditate upon the truths of God. For us to meditate on the truths of God requires us to input the truths of God. We can't compute them until we input them. Would you agree? Say, just say amen. Just, just, it, I know it's going to hurt, but just say it. All right. A few of you were willing to put the risk out there. Whew. You've got to input truth. You've got to input what is virtuous. You've got to input what is praiseworthy. You've got to input this list of noble things, of pure things, of lovely things, of things of good report. They must be inputted first before you could ever meditate on them. And I find us spending very little time putting in these things so that we could even think about them, let alone know them. We're not inputting them. And by the way, thinking about them isn't where this ends. This is the second step of three. You've got to meditate on these things. You've got to have them there. You've got to input them and then work them over in your mind and have them be the focus of your attention. But if all we're inputting is what Hollywood is generating, guess what? There is nothing lovely, nothing pure, nothing true within what they are generating to put inside your mind and your children's minds. Nothing. Zero. Zip. We're going to get to a lot more of that when we get later on in Jude. When we talk about the error and how Satan introduces error into our thinking. You want peace multiplied to you? As Jude says, may peace be multiplied with you. Well, yes, God has given us a ample quantities. The question of multiplying peace is yours. How much are you going to access it? And that is largely dependent. Your prayer sets your mind in a right think mode. Now you've got to start inputting. You've got to start putting things that are true, pure, noble, praiseworthy. Oh, that we would take these things of virtues and bring them into our thinking. To expose our mind through our eye gate and our ear gate to truth instead of lies. To virtue instead of vice. We can sit there and complain all we want about the violence and sex and everything else and the profanity that is in the media, in the movies, in wherever. Um, but as long as you keep looking at it, you can complain all you want. You're still filling your mind with it. Point blank. And by the way, why do you expect anything different from the world? They are violent. They are profane. They are immoral. That is what they are. To ask them to produce something other than that is to ask them to produce something that they aren't. They're not capable of it. And yet you run to them for something called entertainment, which is unfiltered, and I know you might not believe this, but without filter is filling your mind with their ideas, their philosophies. Because the whole purpose of talking pictures is to put your mind to sleep and to fill it with what they want. That's its purpose. Be careful of the lies, what you see. Be careful of the ears, what you hear. For the Father up above is looking down in love, so be careful. We are careless in what we allow in. And once it's in there, what are you going to compute on? What are you going to meditate on? Well, if you have no content to meditate on what is true, just, pure, lovely, noble, virtuous, good report, praiseworthy, if you haven't been inputting that and you can't meditate on that, then you're meditating on the alternative and that will bring anxiety. That will draw you away from an intimacy with God. You will not be praying because you'll be thinking like the world because you've just inputted the world. Now there are some of that that you cannot help. Because you have co-workers who are profane and ungodly, immoral. Um, frankly, we, we have to deal with levels of immodesty in the public sector that are so troubling that sometimes I feel like I want to drive through town with my eyes closed. 
if it weren't so dangerous. Maybe we need those cars that drive themselves. Just like close my eyes driving through some of the streets in this town. So we turn the look away. Why? Because I don't want to fill my mind with that. I need to input into my life that which is true, just, holy, pure, lovely, noble, praiseworthy, good report, virtuous. I want those things in. Well, where do I get those things? Well, you get those things from God's Word. You get those things from being around Christians. We should talk about Christian things. And that's why the Bible says, don't forsake getting together. And if you think just Sunday morning is what he's talking about, that's not all he's talking about there in Hebrews. Don't forsake the assembling yourselves together. Assemble frequently at each other's houses, and you need it. You need the input. And not just sit down and watch a Hollywood movie, by the way. <laughs> We're going to get together and input the world. No, we need to input Christ. We need to be well-read. We need to be exposed to what these things that are out there, to noble th aspects, to purity. So we can now, once inputted, can now meditate on them, that they are going to fill our thought life. We're going to consider them. We're going to delve into them. We're going to explore them first in our mind, because that's where it must happen first. We, we have said the prayer, and now, I, based upon that prayer, it reminds me, oh yeah, that's right, I'm a child of God, I have an intimate access to him. Okay, I, I've, I've reshaped myself, I've reset myself, and as long as I keep prayer as an active part, I'll remind myself that the peace of God is mine for the taking. How? Now I have to meditate on these things that are godlike. I'm going to focus on godly things, on truth, on purity, on these things, on virtuous things. I'm going to meditate on those things. I'm going to explore them with my mind. But that's not the end of it here, is it? There's still a little bit more to go in this passage. And if we end there, we are still going to be falling short of the peace that God wants for you to have. Verse 9 says, These things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, now, this is just an addendum to the other verse. That is, where do you get this stuff? You get it from godly people. You get it from, and by the way, the Bible is written by godly people. So when you read Philippians, you're reading what Paul taught, gave, spoke, and lived. So you want to know what Paul taught, gave, spoke, lived? You can read about it right here. You can still have access to that. But he's not the only one. You need to increase your access to these kinds of individuals, to this kind of content. Now, that third step. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, and again, two little itty-bitty words, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. James makes this connection very clearly. Out of the heart, out of the mind, come your words. Once you have set things in, in the right perspective through your prayer life. Wait a minute. Um, there's there's a another agent engaged here, and that's God. And let me remind myself that, oh yeah, I'm his child, I have access, he's the King of kings and Lord of lords, he is overall, he cares for me uh, like no other, um, and he is good. Once my prayer life has established that, and I have turned my heart from anxiety to thankfulness, contentment, now I have inputted into my life content that is pure, noble, just, good, virtuous, praiseworthy, and I have meditated, I've worked them over in my brain, I'm focusing my attention on those things and not these, all these other things. Now, I'm ready to go out there and do it. And if we do not put feet 
on these truths, you are still going to come short of the peace God intends for you to have. Do it. Take that content that now you've exposed yourself to and you have brought into your life and you have worked over a little bit in your mind and you're studying on it and meditating on it. You are, you are contemplating it. What does it require of me? How must my life change? What should, what, what should this look like? What does virtue look like out here in this world today? Well, virtue is a radical concept in this world today. What does is, what is nobility look like? Things that are noble, kingly. You are a child of the king. What do, how do children, how is nobility supposed to behave themselves? Consider these things. Now, that I've meditated on it, I'm going to go out there and do it. I'm going to talk different, I'm going to act different, I'm going to work different, I'm going to relate differently. I'm going to do all these things, not built upon a model planted in my brain by Hollywood and company, but I'm going to live my life by a model that has been ingested by my mind and my heart, um, by God and by godly ones around me and by his word and through his spirit, and now I'm going to live that out. That in my relationships, I'm going to seek to be godly in that. And that's what we've been trying to talk about with our mercy, that we're supposed to be merciful. That takes a lot of thought because it is bizarre in this world to be merciful. No one is merciful anymore. You have to really think hard about how to be merciful. And you have to contemplate that because it's not going to be natural because it is not being ingrained in you from your society. Our culture is is the antithesis of this list. Let's just be honest. And so we go the other way and we engage ourselves. How do I act? How do I talk to people? How do I drive? What's a noble way to drive? I'm not very noble in my driving, so I'm preaching to me, so I'm not just bothering you. It's not that I speed and run red lights and things like that. I just get really impatient with people on their phones, and I let them know it. They don't know it, but I let them know it. I, I let me let them know it, but I, they don't know I let I don't honk at them. I just go, I express my impatience. Is that virtuous? No. So yeah, we're all working on this, aren't we? And as I said, this war is being largely lost. We're losing the minds of a not just one, but now two or three generations in this country, in Christendom. I am so saddened when I encounter the inability to even think critically by young people today. To even understand cause and effect on mundane levels. To try to bring them into thinking in these manners is almost a Herculean task. Because we have flooded their brain with worthless things, not praiseworthy things. We fill them with comic books instead of Shakespeare. Not that the content of Shakespeare is that much better, but at least it challenges their brain to work instead of brainlessly filling it with evil. And so we have our work cut out for us. We all want to have peace. The peace with God, yes, and we want the peace of God. But we are told here a three-step formula that we frankly fail to engage because we don't believe that's true. We really don't believe that the peace of God is going to come if I turn to him in prayer with my concerns and lay them out before him because he cares for me 
that I mo- focus my attention and my thoughts upon what is best and that I go out and live like it. We just don't believe it. We are sure peace comes by having more stuff, bigger bank accounts, isolated relationships, and on and on it goes. And all you are trying to do is chase after something the world cannot get, cannot give, and doesn't understand. And you're trying to do it the world's way, and it is always going to lead to failure. Where does peace come from? It comes from God. It's the peace of God. I think he knows how to get it to you. What does it require of you? Go, Lord, in prayer. We pray measly prayers. Miserly prayers. Not just in content, but in time. We meditate on foolishness. We are captivated by things that just don't matter. All the while being lied to by the evil one. And then, frankly, we do what pleases us instead of what pleases God. And we end up being unvirtuous, immoral, and unholy. And truly, the scripture readers, writers keep asking, this is what you used to be. You shouldn't be that anymore. Such were some of you, but you were washed of all that. Why go back to the vomit? Don't do it. You want the peace of God to rule in your heart? Set your mind on the things that are above, not things that are below. Be captivated with these things. Be entertained by them. Rejoice in them. Be thankful. Be enthralled by them. Get up in the morning and say, I can't wait to see what I can discover more that's true, noble, just, pure, lovely. I keep forgetting lovely for some reason. Good report, praiseworthy, virtuous. How can I fill my mind with these things? Why am I not focused on these things? Why am I not thankful, content? Because the world doesn't want you content. Because they aren't. The evil one wins when your mind is not stayed on Jesus Christ. In college, we are exposed to a simple chorus by a pastor who came in and spoke from one of the local churches there around the Dayton area. And it was just a simple song. I woke up this morning with my mind stayed on Jesus. I'm walking, talking with my mind stayed on Jesus. And they just fill in all kinds of things that they're doing with their mind stayed on Jesus. And that song just swept the campus during our time there. And every now and then it would just break out. I woke up this morning with my mind stayed on Jesus. Is that our experience? Then if it is not, no wonder peace of God seems so inaccessible. It should be the experience of Christians to have, because we have peace with God, that we have the peace of God in our life. We need to understand, like soldiers, we need to sharpen our minds because that's where the war is going on. And it's real, and we are losing. We can either surrender or double down and say, let us take every measure to purify our thoughts from this world and to fill it with that which is pleasing to God, that the peace of God will be with me. Let's pray. Lord God, 
our God, who has chosen to make us your own. By the working of your Son, we thank you that we have this kind of access, that we can come before you with all of our cares, all of our concerns, all of our needs, and lay them before your feet. A full knowledge that you are attentive. That you care for us more than we know. That you can provide for us beyond what we ask or even can think. Lord, we are coming before you as a people recognizing we have a great need. We're in trouble. A trouble that we really almost haven't recognized sufficiently to take any measures to guard ourselves against. Not only here, but globally, really, through your, through your, around you, among your people. Lord, our prayer is that we might have your hand at work in our life through your spirit, that you might have the liberty to convict us when we do not keep our mind stayed on you, when we not only allow, but even search out that which is untrue, that which is unlovely, that which is impure and unvirtuous, and unpraiseworthy and of bad report, and we want to fill our mind with that. Lord, forgive us. Convict us. Even as you help us and direct us to your truth. That we might fill our minds with it and, 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 and then fill our lives with it. Lord, help us. And again, we pray for your Spirit's wisdom to give us discernment. For you're far away from what holiness looks like in living. And Lord, we pray that you might help us to have the discernment to understand how we should show to the world our trust in you. Lord, as we engage this world for you, we anticipate and expect opposition. Lord, in our world, you know how subtle that opposition has been. You've described it for us in your word that in these days, this is how it would happen to wear us out, to subtly come in, the rub here and the nudge there, We've seen it, and we've seen its success. We are appalled. So, Lord, we ask for courage to take a stand. We ask for self-control that we might be more careful of what comes into our mind. And Lord, our prayer is that we might take every step to keep our minds stayed on you, to trust in Yah. Lord, the evidence is there that we do not do enough for your peace is too often absent from your people. And so, Lord, our prayer is that as we seek to live out the mind of Christ toward one another and to the world, and giving our cares to you in prayer with thanksgiving, that your peace might flood our lives and it might be evident to all Not that we are without cares and concerns, but that we know the one 
who holds our future and our present in his hand. And we are secure. And we thank you for every instance that comes into our life that challenges us to trust in you more. Many of those tests and trials we have failed, and for this we ask for your forgiveness. And pray that we might be better prepared because of our time spent in your word today. The next time, the next trial, we would trust in you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.